1: Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. Uh, hopefully you pick up a few clinical pearls today. Uh, with that said, I, I do want to mention reallifepharmacology.com. Uh, go snag your free uh top 200 study guides, 31 page PDF. Uh, Simply get it just for subscribing. We send you updates on when we've got uh, new content, new podcasts, and and things of that nature. So definitely go check that out, reallifepharmacology.com. All right, so the drug I wanted to cover today uh, is dulaglutide. And so the brand name of this medication is Trulicity. And it's medication used in the management of uh, type 2 diabetes. So mechanistically, this drug does a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that I always remember with uh, the GLP-1 agonist um, dulaglutide is it slows gastric emptying. So two effects that this can lead to is... Uh, patients may feel a little bit more full, they may eat a little bit less, which is obviously advantageous in our uh, type 2 diabetes diabetes patients that, you know, in general, most are are overweight or a significant majority are anyway. And then of course, uh, you're eating less, you're, you know, obviously potentially going to lower that blood sugar as well through that mechanism. Uh, The other primary Uh, mechanism that this drug works through is it helps to secrete insulin and specifically that um, after you eat. So it helps really um, lower those blood sugars when um, blood sugars are elevated. So a couple important mechanisms on on how that drug works. Uh, So again, indicated for diabetes Uh, can be used in combination with lots of different type 2 diabetes medications. I've seen it used in clinical practice, used together uh, in all sorts of of different combinations. The one big exception um, is the DPP-4 inhibitors. Uh, If you remember mechanistically, these kind of work on that same pathway. They work to preserve um, incretin, which promotes that fullness and that type of thing. So, DPP4s essentially work in the uh, same pathway. Uh, I consider it kind of analogous to using an ACE and an ARB together for hypertension. So, that's something you wouldn't do either. Um, So, again, using Dulaglutide with DPP4 inhibitors uh, is not recommended. All right, so let's touch on adverse effects a little bit. So, with that slowing of gastric emptying, Um, what I usually think of that's going to come with that is I think of, you know, that food not, you know, going through as quickly. Uh, this can result in some stomach upset and, and some nausea particularly and potentially vomiting if, if it's significant enough. So that's a definitely the primary adverse effect I think about Um Diarrhea has been reported, some other things, GI have been reported as well, Um, but I would say that nausea is really going to be the the primary one you're going to see out there in clinical practice. Um, Low blood sugar, that's what we're trying to do with this medication, but particularly um, hypoglycemic risk, symptomatic hypoglycemic risk uh, in patients on sulfonylureas and, and insulin Uh, when we use those combinations so keep an eye out that on that Um, one when you start this medication dulaglutide um, it might be really important to keep an eye on your insulin dose and your sulfonylurea dose you may need to back off on those medications kind of depending upon uh, where those blood sugars are falling and and obviously how the uh, patient is feeling as well Um, boxed warning on thyroid Uh, C-cell tumors, Um, medullary thyroid carcinoma risk uh, has been reported in rats, and there's also been uh, case reports here and there. So if a patient's got a personal history of MTC, that's medullary thyroid carcinoma, or potentially a family history, uh, definitely a situation where you might want to avoid the use of dulaglutide here. Uh, other things that i think about um you know i mentioned that that slowing uh, of gastric emptying so in diabetes gastroparesis is a, a a common complication maybe not common but it can definitely happen and definitely is associated with diabetes so if we slow that gut down further that could potentially lead to a significant worsening of symptoms So what I look at, what I look for is if I see a patient maybe taking metoclopramide, um, rarely I've seen chronic erythromycin, two medications that can be used for gastroparesis. If we're adding a GLP-1 agonist, you got to remember that that could exacerbate that thing. So um, just a little tip looking at the medication list. If I see those medications on board, um, the adverse effect profile from dulaglutide may be a little bit worse um, in that type of, of patient. Uh, rarely there's been um, you know, gallbladder issues, pancreatitis reported. So again, good to just keep an eye on that, keep tabs on that, um, recognize maybe if patients are at abnormally high risk for some of those issues. Um, there have been reports of um, dulaglutide and the GLP-1 agonists in general Um, contributing to that issue. Okay so there is uh, as of uh, fall 2020 there is some newer information out on dulaglutide that has um, been a recent change that I wanted to mention and it's one of the reasons why I I wanted to do a podcast on this drug specifically. So historically we've only had two doses so 0.75 milligrams and 1.5 milligrams. Well FDA did approve two additional doses Three milligrams and four point five milligrams. Uh, all these doses are are given sub Q. Um, the main points I, I want you to remember, at least in, in in my research and what I've seen, the drug is flat priced. So if you've got a patient and we go up from one point five to three milligrams, or three milligrams eventually to four point five, um, that pricing is. Uh, looking like at least at this point in time going to remain the same. So that is nice you know if if you want a little bit more A1c lowering um, you're likely not going to um, cost the patient any more money um, than it would you know if they were on 0.75 milligrams versus three milligrams or 4.5 milligrams. So um, I think that's that's a helpful uh, thing to remember uh, with insurance coverages, uh, things can can always be wacky there too, so it's important to keep that in mind. Um, those higher doses, how much more benefit do we get? Um, you know, from the literature, it, it appears like uh, you know A1C lowering is maybe in the 0.2 to 0.3 um, range. So it, it's not a huge reduction. Um, and we also uh, generally most side effects are dose dependent um, so we're also likely going to encounter maybe a little bit more side effects with those higher doses too so um, way I think about it if you've got a patient that's close to goal um, or where you want them to be we may just be able to to increase dose if if you've got a patient on let's say 1.5 milligrams there Uh, if you've got a patient that's pretty far out of control, even on and, and you know, we've assured adherence and all that sort of stuff, um, and you've got an A1C of, you know, 9, nine and a half, ten, 10 still, going from 1.5 milligrams up to 3 milligrams dosing is probably not going to cut it as far as bringing their, their A1C down. So, um, again, you know, how clinically significant the increase is, um, I would say it's a it's a low to, to moderate um, A1C lowering effect by, by increasing those doses. It's not definitely not substantial. You're not going to likely get a, a drop in your A1C by one point by going up from 1.5 to, to 3, for example, in again, most situations anyway. Um, <clears throat> one other thing I, I did want to mention about the the dosing. this is once weekly dosing. Um, so that is definitely a nice thing as long as your patients can, uh, you know, remember one day a week and that type of thing. Uh, And that's, you know, because of the kinetics, the half-life of this medication uh, is five days, so that's uh, significantly long there. All right, so let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and I'll finish up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material, like pharmacotherapy, Uh, geriatrics, medication therapy management exam, or ambulatory care exam, um, definitely go check out meded101.com slash store. Uh, If you're a pharmacy student, we've also got NAPLEX content. Uh, If you're a healthcare professional in general, uh, we've got Amazon books, uh, Audible books, and always remember you can get your first Audible book for free um, by going through uh, meded101.com slash store as long as you've never tried an Audible book in the past. So uh, go check out all those resources, support the sponsor, um, help keep this uh, podcast free and educational uh, for all to enjoy. Again, meded101.com slash store. So finishing up on drug interactions uh, with the GOP-1 agonists in general, um, I would say they're pretty low on the totem pole of medications that cause drug interactions. So that's definitely a good thing. You know, they don't really impact the CYP enzyme system. So your CYP3A4, your CYP2D6. So we don't, you know, have to worry about that uh, quite as much. Uh, The things I worry about most are basically additive effects. So, um, you know, the blood sugar lowering effect. So keeping an eye on, uh, you know, insulin uh, keeping an eye on sulfonylureas and, and really keeping close tabs on that risk for hypoglycemia. Obviously adding agents that can counteract the blood sugar lowering effect. So classic example there being corticosteroids. Um, that can obviously uh, have a an interplay uh, negatively with uh, blood sugar management there. Uh, and then of course altering GI motility. So if we have a lot of drugs on board that slow the GI tract, so anticholinergics, you know your tricyclic antidepressants, your uh, you know older antihistamines like your Benadryls, um, the GLP-1 agonist dulaglutide could add on to that effect. Um, in addition, it could oppose the potential benefit, which I kind of talked about before, of a, a drug like metoclopramide if we're using that. Uh, to stimulate um, or, or to treat gastroparesis. So, uh, a few drug interactions there. Um, again, uh, when I when I cover drug interactions, it's not an all-encompassing list. Um, it's just some of the, the things that come up in clinical practice, um, more common and may show up on you know board exams and and pharmacology exams and things like that. So. Um, yeah, with that, I'm going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating, review on iTunes, um, share us with a colleague, a friend, a student, a preceptor, uh, definitely share us um, with your your uh, fellow healthcare professionals. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, take care and have a great rest of your day.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently